Welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is July 27, 2016, and I am your host, William Hill, as usual. Uh, just some news uh, as to what is happening at the seminary. Uh, we are on the eve of the fall 2016 uh, semester beginning. Uh, it's just right around the corner. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we have our website, gpts.edu, and as well as the confessingourhope.com website. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of those various resources that are out there and um, follow the podcast through the website. In addition to that, you can follow it at Sermon Audio as well as the GPTS mobile app. Now today we're. This is somewhat of a special edition of the podcast. Um, we, we we snuck this interview in prior to our um, normal yearly uh, interview, wrapping up the General Assemblies in the Reformed world, and um, and so I wanted to tie this interview in with that interview, and 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 you'll see I think how they relate. But today we're going to be talking with Dr. David Hall. He is. Um, he is the uh, minister in. He's a minister in the Presbyterian Church in America, and is the senior pastor of Midway uh, PCA in Powder Springs, Georgia. I'm sure most of my listeners are very familiar with him and his writings and other uh, ministerial activities. So, uh, Dr. Hall, it's great to have you on the program, and uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Bill. My pleasure. Hope you're doing well. Hope that move goes okay for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's it's a little stressful, but that's okay. Uh, that's moving. Um, as I put on Facebook this morning, it's a great means of sanctification. That's so, right. Um, Dr. Hall, you wrote an article uh, shortly after the most recent uh, Presbyterian Church in America's General Assembly that was held in Mobile, Alabama. You titled the article, A Way Forward for PCA Peace, Health, and Unity. And just in maybe really short summary, what was the the uh, the core issue that you were trying to get to, and why did you write this article in the first place? Well, I wrote it as a follow-up. There was a previous article that uh, was published entitled something like the PCA's version of executive orders, uh, which is, is sort of insulting to a lot of people, but the title was chosen uh, intentionally because I, I think the way this issue came to the General Assembly was, was an old school from uh, back rooms or from higher up down. Uh, mm-hmm. The PCA, in my understanding, and I'm not a lifelong Presbyterian, I was raised in the Methodist Church, so when I came into the PCA, I read their documents and I, I believed them. I thought, yeah, okay, that's what we meant. So the PCA has uh, always been eager to brand itself as a grassroots denomination that's uh, relatively free from uh, hierarchicalism, and uh, I think what we've done is, unfortunately, I think we've developed a, a hierarchical spirit in our denomination, almost at the speed of light. It's 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 fairly breathtaking um, to see how quickly um, certain bureaucratic impulses seem to be taking over, and even the General Assembly itself has uh, become more more of a smotherer of grassroots than. Uh, an encourager of that. So, uh, both in the first piece, <clears throat> excuse me, and in the second piece, uh, I, I thought it was worth at least calling to readers' attention that uh, this was something that had been done before. This had been done in, in mainline Presbyterianism and in many mainline denominations, uh, and it never ends up well. And mm-hmm. and, and once we start down that track uh, of of giving sort of too much influence to any a small group, it, uh, even among the most sanctified, it just doesn't end up well. Calvinists 
course, sure. you know that. Sure. Sure. Now, the, the, the impetus for this article, um, in case I've lost, already lost my listeners, and what are you guys talking about? Well, there was an event, uh, there was a, a decision made at, uh, on the floor of the Assembly um, uh, this year um, that upset many and didn't upset a lot of others, um, t- having to do with a woman's creating a women's study committee to evaluate various issues as to women's ministries in the church, including issues of ordination and other such uh, activities. Um, and so that was the genesis of it. And so, Dr. Hall, when you when you say the PCA is, has always operated in a, on a grassroots level, for the layman, what does that mean? Well, rather than having a strong centralized control uh, and, and having staff members, paid staff and bureaucrats, which was part of the impetus for founding the PCA in 1973, unfortunately, most people who did that are now in heaven, um, <clears throat> the, the PCA was formed to have a decentralized uh, government. In fact, in the beginning, the four permanent committees were not even permitted to dwell in the same city. Uh, that's how... Uh, intent the founders of the PCA were in not having a centralized power. And then as part of the strategic long-range study uh, process about seven or eight years ago, a recommendation came to create this entity called the Cooperative Ministries Committee. And the Cooperative Ministries Committee uh, is made up of all of the coordinators, the highest uh, leaders of the PCA, and um, a few former moderators and uh, so the the idea to have this this uh, committee on the, on trying to define the roles and relationships for women originated not in a church, not with a session, not with a presbytery, not via an overture to the overtures committee, but from on on high, from our cooperative ministries committee. Uh, and although one speaker uh, sought to persuade the floor, and I suppose he did because they voted with him, not with not with mm-hmm. uh, my ideas, um, <clears throat> that this was not done uh, secretively. There's actually, uh, as I think I do cite in that article, there's no reference to it anywhere in the minutes, and there may have been a gloss here and there or a throwaway line here, but uh, I think most of the assembly reacted, or at least at first, uh, with a little surprise, and my concern is not so much over having a study committee as another uh, defender of the idea said, what's wrong with studying the Bible? Well, goodness, nothing. We'd, we'd love to study the Bible. Uh, our concern and fear is that people are not going to study the Bible on this process, that they're going to study sociology or uh, other That's cultural right. dynamics. Uh, to study the Bible, uh, actually, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to take more than a week or two on this subject. So <laughs> it's, long, it's just not. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I did a 45-minute uh, study with, with our church uh, a week or so after General Assembly, and went over the sum, the, 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 all, all the scriptures that, that touch on the subject. There aren't that many, um, and and most of them are very clear. There's one or two that that you know, if you twist and work hard enough, you can come up with, you can derive some ambiguity. Um, but the church for centuries hasn't uh, agreed with that. So I'm not I'm not just concerned about the issue. I'm I'm far more concerned about a denomination slipping into hierarchicalism uh, through its leaders who are, to the man, you know, very fine, sanctified men. Um, but as a, a group, this is a vehicle that simply doesn't have very good pedigree uh, in keeping churches 
orthodox and true to the scriptures. Yep. Well, I was on the, as you know, Dr. Hall and, and many of the listeners know, I was on the administrative committee, which is the grassroots committee uh, that received this uh, recommendation from from the permanent committee, um, the cooperative ministries committee, uh, to uh, determine uh, whether or not to recommend or not recommend to the floor this uh, recommendation three, as it's been affectionately referred to, um, and I was on that committee, and it, and this was one of our was one of our big concerns. It wasn't the only thing that we were concerned about, but it was one of the central issues in our debate in committee, which was the grassroots committee, of course, is that this is coming from a top down move instead of through the presbyteries, through sessions, um, it's even through overtures. In fact, we even uh, in our recommendation, we 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 uh, approved to reverse the permanent committee's recommendation, thirty-one to seven, which was substantial. Um, we cited. I, I would say, let me interrupt you. I, I would say that sure. from my experience in PCA in about thirty-five years, historic. I simply oh, do really? not recall a case where a committee commissioners reversed a permanent committee by that majority. Wow. See, I, well, I'm glad we're talking because I did not know that. That's uh, that gives me more. Um, what's the word? More uh, well, reason actually, to pause. <laughs> yeah, it's actually more depressing. But anyway, that's 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 true. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and so that was one of our our big concerns, and we actually cited and, and reminded in our recommendation when we reversed it to uh, remind uh, these permanent committees and remind that the normal process in the PCA has been historically to go through the grassroots. Move. However, um, as everybody knows by now, um, everything that we did uh, was reversed 699 to 477 on the floor. I, I will note, um, uh, I know Dr. Hall, you weren't there, but I will note that I was there. And what w- was intriguing to me was that prior to this vote, the number of commissioners on the floor of the, of the assembly we're totaling somewhere between 700 and 750, but if you total that vote, you're, you're looking at over 1,100. It, right, it strikes it's quite, a, it's quite an accomplishment, quite a turnout machine. Yeah, it, it does. It's curious, at least, as to where everybody was for the other non Well, I saw someone, if I can comment, I, I, I think I referred to that in my second article as one of the better examples of, of Chicago-style uh, politics, and some uh, I, I can't remember where I saw, it, but some fairly young guy, um, I guess not very historically uh, savvy, uh, said, "Oh, that's a cheap shot at Obama." And I'm going, "Oh my goodness, you don't remember Mayor Daley? This has nothing to do with Obama. That's a it's a reference to ward politics in Chicago." And sadly, right. I have to say, it looks to me like the PCA. And really, I'm 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 more concerned, and, and I'm as a pastor, I tell my session, I am far more concerned with the political dynamics at General Assembly than I am of this specific issue. Can you, can you name, can you list a few of those political issues of the General Assembly that, that cause you pause, other than the one we just talked about, certainly? Okay, I, I don't know if I said political issue, but political, I mean, if I did, I want to correct, uh, political dynamics. There, there, are, there are voting caucuses, there, there are large groups with vested interests uh, that appear to me Probably a lot of them receive a, a denominational paycheck. They're either on the payrolls of MTW or RUF or MNA, uh, Covenant College, Covenant Seminary, uh, administrative staff. Uh, I, I mean, these these are, are, are people who are one again. They're wonderful people, fine people, mm-hmm. 
but they have a turf to protect, and what's lost is the representation of the voice of common, ordinary churches. There were something, you know this, I think there was just a little over 20% of the voters of this General Assembly who were ruling elders. And uh, a, a perennial problem. Yeah, but except it's getting worse. When I first went to the PCA General Assembly in the early 1980s, it was right at 50-50. And uh, it's been a slow decline, but over the last five or six years, it's been a steeper drop off, and by that I mean there, there's been a huge disincentivization given to ruling elders. My, my three ruling elders went, and one of them was ready to come home on Wednesday. He said, "This is a fixed uh, venue." I mean, he sounded sort of like a Bernie Sanders guy. He said, "This is the fixes in. You know, there's only one moderator nominated. He's already got his speech ready, and he's already got his committees appointed. It's a guy. It was his first general assembly. I dare say it'll probably be his last." Uh, because he's a, a CPA, he's a professional, he's a working man, and uh, <clears throat> most people aren't going to spend a week uh, doing that kind of thing. So we may have a, a growing staff-controlled bureaucracy in the PCA, but the downside is uh, the, that's a huge bucket of cold water to uh, or, ordinary churches, and you have yeah. a whole lot more ministerial professionals voting year after year in block. Uh, than you do uh, common churches. In fact, if you just do the, the numbers, run your differential between 750 average voting attendance before the big issue came up, I think that's a spread of about, if my math's correct, three to 400 people. Uh, yep. It's really hard to say that's not political. Uh, that, yep. that would be sort of the side of, of a miracle that all of those people just felt led of the Lord to wander into the assembly hall at the same time. No, uh, they're, they're good Facebook notices and Twitter feeds and you know, lines of communication, which both the left and the right use in the PCA. Uh, but yep. you have to say at the minimum, it's, it, it is political, and I don't think it's a good trend. Yeah, I was going to point that out in fairness, and I don't think you're being unfair, just that I, I've been party to a couple of General Assemblies ago where there was a hot issue on the floor headed, heading to, having to do with not the Nominations Committee and the normal order of vote. Um, and they reversed it on purpose to, avo- to keep one man off the Standing Judicial Commission. Um, Friends of mine that weren't at the General Assembly but were watching the live stream started texting me and saying, get your, get this guy, get this guy, get in that room, make sure you're voting. And, yeah, so, I mean, sure. we both use that. Sure. But, but let me ask you a question, Dr. Hall. It, what's the solution? I mean, if, if it, and, and we hear this all the time. We hear that ruling elders aren't, being, aren't representing well at General Assembly, and, and it's because of the makeup of the, of the process. Okay, we, we come in there, we start business on Tuesday nights, we're there Wednesday, we're there Thursday, maybe Friday morning, almost never, at least my experience, we're not there right. on Friday morning. You, you said when you first came into the PCA, it was a 50-50 split. What changed? Well, I, I mean, my, my personal belief is that what changed was there's, there's a widespread perception, it's, and I can't document this, and, but every, and everybody in, in the Lawrenceville offices hates to hear me say this. I was on the administrative committee from 2011 to 2015. I said it several times. I said, yep. you know, the, the worst thing for participation is to give the, give the perception, true or not, uh, that the fix is in. And I said that's what people are doing. So I think that's changed. I think there was, uh, in the early days of the PCA, there was a greater uh, investment and commitment by uh, some of the ruling elders. One good thing that will happen, uh, and, and I think this is, I think it's positive, is two, two years from now, 2018, for the first time, our General mm-hmm. Assembly will lose a full 24-hour day, which is wasted time anyway. And it'll go from a Wednesday night to a Friday um, uh, time period <clears throat> in Atlanta. I say that's good. It's good. I hope it'll help participation. It's bad because it also probably 
encourages more of a bureaucratic impulse because people don't want to slow down and look at things that way. But the other thing that can be done, and, and I have voted for this at least three times in my lifetime and failed miserably, um, but there have been overtures and personal resolutions from time to time that, that said no one shall be able to vote at General Assembly unless he is attached to a session. Uh, that would fix things in a hurry. I, that was never written down. Uh, in the in the PCA polity, I don't think the founding fathers envisioned uh, that that wouldn't be the case, and so I think that was an assumption. But it was never written down. It's not in the Constitution. Every time the vote comes up, when you got 80% ministers in the room to 20% ruling elders, uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who's going to win that vote. And uh, mm-hmm. so the, the the ratio of almost four to one ministers to ruling elders just I, I don't think it's healthy. I don't I don't. I don't know why anybody would be promoting that. I, w- I don't know why we don't have leaders uh, working more aggressively to reverse that and to reverse it in a hurry. Uh, what's happened over the years, though, that I guess uh, this is my uh, my fairly fairly libertarian uh, take on things. Uh, here here in, in Georgia, uh, we used to say the state is always better off when the legislature is not in session. Um, in, in some ways, General Assembly has has made itself almost irrelevant to the life of presbyteries and churches. It's made itself uh, almost almost trivial, so that three days out of the year, everybody gets all torn up and and fusses and fights and contests. And and then uh, the the other 363 days, you're thankfully we go home and do our work and serve the Lord. Uh, that's not good though. That's not ideal as a Presbyterian. That's that doesn't fit with our principled ecclesiology, nonetheless, it's, it's the reality. And, and, and you know, I, I, for one, would be happy to have General Assembly every four years, so I think there'd be less damage. No, I agree with you. I, I, I told you off-air, and, and this is just my the way I, I came away from GA. Frankly, it's not the first GA I came away feeling this way, and, and I, I suspect I'll feel this way again. I hope not. I don't want to. Uh, but I felt pretty discouraged, upset, um, beat up, tired emotionally, physically, mentally. Um, and, and, and I think a lot of it had to do with this one particular issue. It wasn't the only one, but this one particular issue very much distressed me for, right. for many of the reasons what you, that you've already highlighted, but also for some of the, you know, the, the, the particular inside the issue uh, arguments and debates that happened and how they were conducted in the, in the things that were said on the floor that, that just baffled my mind, frankly, in many ways. Um, uh, but but how do we solve the ruling elder problem, just in your opinion? I mean, what can we do to get them there? I mean, other than just completely chuck the way we're doing things now, and that's never going to happen. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm at a loss, uh, brother, to, to, to give you good uh, advice on that. I, I don't know a solution. It's frustrating. I wish I did. Uh, again, the overture could be tried or a resolution to amend the Book of Church order to say only uh, voters at, at um, <clears throat> General Assembly uh, are eligible to vote if they're um, attached to a session, um, that's not going to pass. So I, I think that's largely a waste of time. I, I think the only only productive thing you can do is you hold your money and you steward it well. You do that sooner rather than later. That's that's one of the things I learned. I was ordained in the PCUS mm-hmm. uh, and uh, left that denomination and, and along with some others, you know, tried to fight the good fight there and lost miserably. Um, so I, I think, I think you do, I think there's a limit. You, you come back, you said you were baffled and tired and, uh, uh, depressed. Hmm. Uh, there's a limit to what honest pastors and elders can come in to be supported financially. And, um, 
that I know approaches uh, a, a mortal sin in the PCA, but it's something I find myself saying more and more. And I just, there's a limit to how much money and the Lord's funds we're going to give to things that are going exactly opposite of what our biblical convictions are. Yep. So I'm sorry well, I don't have a good answer for that. I wish you did. No, no, I, I, I share your no, frustration. I, no, I've I've often said you know it, it, the the real solution is going to a delegated assembly, but you and I both know that that's um <laughs> a very big dream that will never I, see real. I think that yeah, I think that might be a slight improvement. I do. Um, I, I think you can make a good uh, ecclesiological argument in favor of that, and indeed the vast majority. The PCA may be the only exception. In fact, maybe the maybe the EPC, but the PCA and by the EPC are the only exceptions to that rule. That's actually been the norm uh, for Presbyterianism. The only reason we don't do that in the PCA is we were burnt in 1972-1973, and uh, the PCA Book of Church Order was amended to, just to reflect those scorch marks and to avoid those things. Yep. So I think I can summarize at least your article, at least on two points. One, the hierarchalism or the top-down uh, legislative process that, that appeared to be in play um, uh, throughout this uh, various uh, committee, this women's study committee, and then also uh, the, the substance of the study committee as, as it pertains to uh, some of the issues. And, and, and I point to something you said in the article, and I do want to just spend a few minutes on this. You said that one of the recurring arguments as far as this committee was concerned in, in whether to do it uh, uh, one of the recurring arguments to innovate seems to have deteriorated to this quote, because I can't explain why we do things to my kids or fill a demographic group in the blank. Therefore, the church must change, and we need the momentum of a study committee to provide shade to do so, because if judged on the merits of the case, these changes probably won't pass constitutional muster. Elaborate. What did you well, mean by that? Well, I... If we're going to be forthcoming and honest, if we're going to make changes to ordination, and that is the wording that the CMC chose, they seem to be backpedaling on the floor, uh, give them credit for realizing it was a really dumb idea, uh, and poorly chosen wording, uh, and they seem to be saying, oh, this is really nothing, this isn't anything about ordination, yet the whole assembly, including your committee, was going on what they had explicitly generated and wrote. So we were trying to take their thoughts seriously. And then well, on not the only floor, that, we were not only that, we were concerned with the fact that they already already had, in some sense, put the theological cart before the horse right. and had this pastoral letter already kind of sitting right. there in the wings, ready to go. Yeah, right, right. That doesn't inspire confidence for an objective uh, procedure. But what what I I, I would be more. Um, so I guess I'd, I'd be a little bit more positive if I thought the, the study committee was going to come up with, with actual BCO amendments, and that we would vote on those in, the, in a deliberative and ordinary way, and two-thirds of the presbyteries would weigh in and give their counsel. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. In fact, for the last seven or eight years, uh, the, the leaders that have moved us toward the left, toward the progressive poll, have done anything except deal with things in that straightforward constitutional manner. Uh, I actually discussed with my staff three years ago, uh, and I wish I had done it. I wish I had not heeded their advice. They're, they were younger men. They were very wise, so I did I did submit myself to them. But I wish I had done it for a timing. So I wish we had proposed an overture that said, therefore, amend BCO Chapter 9 or wherever, say women may serve in the office of elder, and another one to say women may serve in the office of deacon. 
and let's vote on that and find out how that how the church supports it. Uh, I think the first one failed miserably. I think the second one failed narrowly. Um, to me, that's a constitutional, fair-minded way where you take in the voice of churches in New Mexico and in Colorado and in Wisconsin and the Dakotas as, and in small towns in Mississippi as well as large churches as well as all the Redeemer and the city churches. So, you know, I, th- I think the PCA still has a residue of very, very fine people. <clears throat> Unfortunately, they're just not showing up at General Assembly. So that makes General Assembly an unrepresentative forum, in my opinion. Uh, and because of that, I, I'm not comfortable with a lot of substantial decisions being made at General Assembly. Substantial decisions should be made in the regular process in the courts of the church. Now, the study committee has the 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 the, the courage to to uh, try to present that view and do it in a very open and honest way, and wants to lobby and argue for that. Well, the church could have a heated discussion. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the study committee is not going to do that. Instead, they'll probably give us a laundry list of things women can do and they can't do, which isn't going to be any progress. It's not going to be based on exegesis either. It's just going to be based anecdotally on experience, and it really is going to create more problems than it solves. So I'm not terribly optimistic that this process is going to fix anything unless the committees come back with what the CMC said in the original, that they really do want to change ordination. And they really do want to change ordination, if they want to open ordination up uh, to females for the office of deacon. I don't know why you don't just go ahead and, and, and deal with the question of elders, because I'm married to a very, very wise and godly woman. She said, come on, you guys are stupid. Every woman would tell you, no, no woman wants to be a deacon. That's not worth it. That's hard work, and they do more work than some of the elders. So be honest about it. Let's just go for the... You know the, the 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 big kahuna, and and you know if we're going to do this, just talk about women as elders. Don't don't you know shy away from that. If, if there's some exegetical basis for that, present that, and we'll we'll let the church discuss it. But what I imagine this is going to do, the study committee is probably going <clears> to <throat> meet and come up with you know churches can do this or can't do this, and every and a pastoral letter by by design is everybody be nice to each other, and it doesn't really solve anything. Do you think, in your opinion, that, that this study committee then, because of the way it's being processed, has the potential of creating more confusion than actual solution? I suppose it could. I hadn't thought about that. I suppose it could. I, I hope My hope is that the, the, the fine work of your committee, and, and really it is kind of galling to have, to have one's article cited uh, for, as if my art, first article attacked people by name. It really didn't. I don't have any animus. I don't hate any people in the CMC. Um, but I do have a really high regard uh, for the Administrative Committee Commissioners on which you served. In fact, uh, from what I've seen of the men who participated, there were probably a greater cross-section of true millennials there uh, than uh, a lot of things. That are put forth. So, if we want to know what the next generation is thinking, why not listen to your committee? Uh, so, it would have been good if we if we'd done that. If the assembly had, had done that, I do think, and I hope and pray that enough light has been uh, shined on this issue, both as to its undesirable process, uh, as well as the the exegetically weak exegetical weaknesses. Uh, hopefully, to have people. Uh, be, be very careful whenever they see whatever the study committee comes up with. Yeah. You mentioned the cross-section. Um, for those who haven't read the article, um, and I would encourage you to do so because it's very helpful um, 
to understand really the bigger picture, the, 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 the bigger picture, the umbrella issue that's over the, just this one particular decision that was made this year. But you mentioned the cross-section of men. I was, as I was reading it, I was, of course, I was on the committee, as has been said, and I was trying to think of who you're <laughs> – who you were talking about because I was in the room and I was sitting in the back so I could see everybody, right? And so you have a doctoral candidate in history from a North Northeastern State University teaching. Yeah, I'll, give you name, I'll give you names off air, but I, but I, but I don't oh, no, no, it's okay. He was sitting like <laughs> he are, was sitting a row in front of me to my yeah. right. I know. Yeah, these are real people. None of these are made up. Yeah, a thirty-something pastor in a mostly cheek uh, cheek city with a seminary trained wife from California. I won't read them all, but I mean, I'm just I'm reading down through the list. A Cuban American pastor from the Southwest. He was sitting to, right next to me on my left. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's true. There was a great cross-section of our denomination uh, being represented in that committee. And, 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 and friends, um, I don't know if if people understand what we do in there. There's a number of issues that we deal with. Um, This was one of them. And just so people understand how it works, um, we debate until the issue is debated. We can't call the question. We can't end debate early like you can do on the floor of the assembly. We argue the case from both sides until it's been argued to death. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the horse has been dead for a week, for an hour, and we're still talking about it. Right. Um, and that's what happened in this committee. We went on for four or five hours, um, if memory serves, and there were speeches on both sides. There were some speeches right down the center. But there was a great cross-section of the denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, um, from all over the nation, and it was 31 to 7 against the permanent committee. All right, just let that sink in. Yeah. And, and how, does that st- how does that then strengthen, Dr. Hall, what you're, what you're saying, really? Yeah. What, yeah. What, what is the real problem? Right, yeah, and I, th- I think uh, there, there's where we, we need some, some senior leadership, we need some mature leadership, and, and and one of the strengths sometimes of good leadership is to say, in effect, gee, Wiz, I you know I, I I don't think I have been listening closely. I didn't see this issue. And look at look at the good points being made by all these young millennials on this committee. And it would have been nice to have at least one. I can't find one. At least one coordinator stand up and say, fellas, listen, uh, th- this is a real cross section here. These guys pay their own way. None of them have salaries like most of us do. They paid their own ways. They studied through the issues. They knew what they did. They, as you said, they spent hours and hours debating it. <clears throat> and uh, you know, it would have been better off. I think it was six years ago. It's a it's a parallel process, in my opinion. If some of our uh, leaders had listened to the grassroots on the funding plan, the votes are lining up about the same. It's you know, so it's it's. I wouldn't take a lot of heart if you don't get out of general assembly. With a mandate, you're probably getting passed on the on the BCO level. That's a that's a great part of constitutionalism, and I'm I'm thankful for that. So if it's a good idea, it's going to pass overwhelmingly. This, in my opinion, happened to be a a very poor idea. Uh, you guys were well represented by your chairman, uh, Roland Barnes, in a good committee. Like I said, I wasn't there, but uh, you, you dealt with the facts. You understood the issues. Uh, you, you all didn't miss them. Uh, there was just a a large uh, caucus political group that was very committed um, to get a oh, study on, on women's roles. Yep. Well, Dr. Hall, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I think yeah, you, you've said it well. I think the article is very well stated. Um, it's it's facts. It's 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 rooted in the facts of the case, the issues. 
it covers the umbrella issue, which is not just the study committee, but it's just the, the way the machine seems to be operating these days within our assembly. And it's and we don't I don't think you say this or nor do I say this. We're not gleeful about this. We're not happy about this. We're not you know parading this around as it, it this is grievous stuff and it and it bothers us and we want to see it adjusted and turned in a in a in a like it used to be as right. yeah can I, can I say two things in closing sure uh, absolutely. I'm, a, I'm a presbyterian and that's I, I was a presbyterian before i ever studied politics or learned anything about political uh, matters and in fact being a presbyterian pastor forced me to read the book of church order as i was being skewered on it uh, in the mm, Peace U.S., yeah. so it was a survival skill. Um, but being a Presbyterian uh, is always going to be involved in politics. Politics is part of of our life, our culture, uh, our church, and and we ought not be perceived as saying we we uh, are looking for some Gnostic ideal where there's no politics. Politics will always be a part uh, of a church. The only question is whether or not those politics will be ethical and concerned for the good of the church or whether they'll have other agenda items. And the second thing on that is if, if my friends on, on the other side who I, I congratulate them for their, their political machinery. And um, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed that they can get their votes out and uh, manage things in ward style politics uh, as effectively uh, as they now are doing. But, but if you're going to do that, then don't whine and complain when somebody like me, who's a common pastor, says this is a political machine. If you don't want to be accused of being a caucus group, in other words, if you don't want to be confused or accused as a political group, if you don't want to be uh, called an interest group, then don't act that way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it's well said. And again, I would encourage the listeners to, um, if they have not read the article by now, um, you can find it on the Aquila Report. Just um, just search for it. It's um, a way forward for PCA peace, health, and unity, which again strikes it. You know, the, the big issue is, as we've been talking about, not just the study committee issue, but the, the the way we're doing things. And and the you know, so I would encourage you to read it and um, think about it. If you're an officer in the church, especially, have your sessions read it, um, share it with others. You know, think about these things that they're important. They're, they're pressing us now and they're going to continue to press us as we go, um, forward, um, next year and the year after we're going to see the results of the study committee eventually. And, um, so uh, we'll see just exactly where, where this takes us. Dr. Hall, I appreciate your time. I know you're, you're busy, (laughs) a busy man. And, um, do you have any new books on the horizon? Well, thanks for asking. I have a little a little booklet called 20 Messages to Consider Before Voting uh, that are um, summaries and distillations of mm. uh, mainly colonial period uh, election sermons. So they're not only nonpartisan, they're prepartisan. So I tell everybody there's not a Republican sermon in the book uh, because this mm, was right. m- many times 100 years before that. But they're good biblical expositions. Uh, and uh, someone contact me, I'll get you one. Yeah, that sounds good, especially in light of what we're facing in the next few yeah, months right. here in the United States. You want to talk about pol- political machinery? Uh, just watch the Republican and Democratic national conventions, and you'll see it in all its colors. <laughs> right. So, but thank you for the time and uh, the Lord's blessing on your ministry there. And um, again, thanks, Bill. You too. Appreciate your labors. Hold on the phone just a second. Let me wrap things up. Just. Uh, 
quickly for uh, the listeners, if you are interested in what's coming up on the program, just go to the website, confessingourhope.com. Uh, the full list is there, and um, you can see what we're going to be doing in the next few weeks. And so, so until next time, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.